next weekend we have our annual Orphan Care Weekend. It's a very special time. From start to finish in our service times, you will be challenged, you will be touched. Uh, some of the challenges of uh, orphans here locally and around the world, so come with a big heart, an open heart, and a willingness to get involved to make a difference. Don't miss it. It's going to be a special weekend. We do it once a year, so we look forward to seeing you. Okay? Hey, um, anybody show up here an hour early today? Okay, we, we, ha- we had a few. Uh, and so that's always kind of exciting, but I'm so glad that you were here. It's just a beautiful day. What a fall we have had. It's been, I can't remember a fall any more beautiful than this in years. And uh, other than it's kind of dry, my eyes, I just kind of want to scratch them out right now, my sinuses. So I don't have a cold, so I'm not contagious, but if I sound that way, I'm fighting these allergy, allergy things. But we are continuing today this amazing book called Ephesians. And... You know, in our teaching team times when we plan ahead, we plan way ahead and you never know what you're going to get because we're assigned certain weekends and you just hope when you do the book of Ephesians that you don't get like, you know, circumcision and Gentiles and all that stuff. And, and, and I, I am so happy that I got this passage today because it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, Mr. Foth over here, he gets, he gets in a couple of weeks, I think you're on for a couple of weeks and so we'll see where he goes with this, but, but I know it's, it's so fun to love the passages that you're teaching on. And we've called this uh, New Species, New Life. Now, I love National Geographic Channel. I don't, how many of you watch it? I, it's one of my favorite channels. And I just can't believe all the species of stuff that God made. And the, the critters and the way they look and the way they function and the way they eat and it just, it's just fascinating to me. And then I come to church and I see all these different people with all these different gifts, with all these different abilities and all the stuff that you guys do. And I just go, wow, God, you had something in mind when you created every person in the world. And that's really what this is about. This, this passage is talking about how we can become spirit-directed and led and be a new creation. So here's, I want to start with a question. What does it really mean to become a new creation in Christ? We we throw that language around, but I really I really want to drill a little deeper today and and ask you if you really know what that means and if you really believe it. Because it's a challenge and we have to get some language to even talk about it. Are there any differences really between followers of Christ and non followers of Christ? If, if you put the brain of a non-follower under a microscope or through a CAT scan, would you see something different in the brains of people who follow the Lord? Go like this. No. Because um, it's not a physical difference. It, it can't be measured or there's no chip in somebody's life that says, oh yeah, they're a believer. Oh, they're not. They are. They are. They are. They are. They aren't. 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 There's, there's no way to know except by how we live. And that's a, that's a challenge. And I wonder the differences that we have in how we live, how measurable those really are in the world we live in. And so I think we need to talk about this and unpack it. Now Paul gets right to the point. He's blunt. 
And let's tackle it. Ephesians 4, some of you have this underlined in your Bible. We're going to start with verse 17. The first thing in your program that you want to write down if you're taking notes on the back of that, on the outline, is this. Taking the low road. Taking the low road. Now, we, we use this metaphor all the time. High road, low road. And I think you guys know what that means. The lowest road would be doing nothing or little. The high road is the, the righteous, the holy, the, the disciplines. And we'll talk about that one in a minute. But let's look, first of all, at the low road. Because Paul is saying, this is what happens when you live on the low road. Verse 17, Ephesians 4. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, he's talking here about Gentiles who are not followers of the Lord. They are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have, listen to this, closed their minds... And hardened their hearts against Him. Huge language there. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. When I think about what it means to wander far from the life God wants us to have because our minds are closed and our hearts are hardened, I started thinking, what makes people have a closed mind or a hardened heart to the things of God. Some of you could could list, just think of someone right now. Can you think of someone in the world you live in, at work, your neighborhood, that you, you would say they have closed their mind to anything that has to do with God? They have hardened their heart. They won't even get into a discussion about it. It's just done. How many of you can think of somebody like that? Okay, what happened to them to, to put them in that place? What, what do you suppose, I don't think they were born with that disposition. What happened that they closed their mind and they hardened their hearts? I, I was just really trying to figure this out and I thought, I think sometimes it's circumstances in the world. I, I understand logically sometimes how someone could look at the world and go, you know, a God who lets this kind of stuff happen in the world and He could intervene and He didn't, or he doesn't, why would I believe in a God like that? I can, I can, I can, I can see that. They might look at suffering. Um, maybe they personally have suffered great loss and they didn't feel like God spared them. Or they've seen a family member suffer. Or a parent. And, and, and it like, it's like God didn't do anything about it. There's huge disappointment. Disappointment can lead to a closed mind. A hardened heart. Some of you might be struggling today with where God really is. Here's, here's one of the worries that I have from a theological viewpoint, and I think we need to open our hearts to this. We live in a nation that has really pushed Christianity into a few boxes. One of my worries is that even us, as followers of Christ, we somehow have become convinced in this concept that God exists to make our dreams come true. That, that he's up there going, oh, I have the magic wand and I'm going to wave it and it's all going to get better and it's all going to be great. When the Bible actually says, in this life you will have trouble. There will be suffering. This is, this is challenging. We need to really digest this and think about this. It says they live for lustful pleasure, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This is what happens when you believe that life is all about you. 
and your fulfillment and what you want. The low road is doing the minimum. Have you ever, have you ever had to work beside someone that just, I mean, they do the minimum. That's all they do. And it's so frustrating. It's like they won't even pick up a piece of trash on the floor. That's not my job. You know, I might throw my back out and have to sue this place. You know, there's just an attitude with the minimum that comes along with stuff like that. It's meeting the quota and that's it. Nothing else. It settles for mediocrity. Uh, mediocrity. I think, of, I think of the low road in marriage. How many of you are married? Just wave at me. Yeah, if you need to check your finger, you took too long there. You know, you can settle for a mediocre marriage by just living on the low road. By just not investing in it, not giving your all to it. But I don't want that in my life. I want to love being married. But you're going to have to make an investment that says, I'm not going to do the minimum in my relationships. How many of you are single? We have a lot of single folks at Timberline, and we love you, and we thank God for you. Do you love being single? Not a lot of amens, maybe. See, you can, you can choose to live on the low road as a single person and wish and want and desire and change. But, but what, about, what about saying, I love this life God's given me. I'm, I'm going to be on the high road, not the low road. I'm going to look for the best, not the worst. I think about personal dreams that many of you have and you're dreaming. And if you're on the low road, you won't have those. You won't have that ambition, that care. You won't love people. You won't fully engage in the people right in front of you. Family goals. I'm just challenging you. Don't be settled. Don't settle for the low road. Um, it's, it's not the place. You want to you do what I have number two in your outline. Let's take in the high road. Paul is about to do a big switch. He starts out by saying what we don't want to be. And then it's like he turns on a light because of verse 20. It says this. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. In other words, Christ turned the tables on this. No more low road living. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, and here's that passage, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What in the world is this new nature? What is the difference? If there's no physical difference between a follower and a non-follower, then what is it? Here's the key. Every person ever born has a spirit man. And it's real. It's powerful. It's not make-believe. Everyone has it. And it's only God, through the Holy Spirit, that can quicken that spirit man enlighten that spirit man and when that spirit man responds in faith to the god who created it there is new life we use language the bible uses language like born again what does that mean it means that something happens in our spirit man that connects us to this god who created us in a unique way and so suddenly there's this stuff that we start to chase in the Spirit, in the realm of the Spirit. How can I go from the low road to the high road? By the renewing of my mind, the Spirit. I, I think of the, 
The idea of baby steps. You know, we use that metaphor of just taking little steps toward God in my life. <laughs> the minute I wrote that in my notes, I, I thought of a movie. You guys know the movie? Say the title with me. What about Bob? If you haven't seen that movie, you should, you should rent it. It's, it's a hilarious movie. And the psychologist writes this book about taking baby steps, and that's how you win. But and I won't get into the movie. But there's this idea of how do we then throw off the old nature? Because Paul uses the language, and it's an aggressive phrase in the language, throw off, cast away this old nature. Here's the problem. Let me use this just to illustrate it. Let's say this is that old nature. Okay? This thing you're born with, it's, it's on you. And, and, and you're going to deal with it the rest of your life. It's never fully gone in this life. Okay? Now, what happens when you let that Spirit of God connect with that Spirit man, you have been empowered to then put this thing off of you. You, you, you can grab a hold of that flesh and those desires, and through taking those steps in honoring and walking with God, you take this thing off of you. And matter of fact, you, you want to just get rid of it. You don't want it to be around. Here's the problem. It like chases you everywhere you go, doesn't it? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and it tries so hard to attach itself to you and wrap you up and, and, and you're just constantly going, I don't want, I don't want this. And you can't just get rid of that by trying harder. This is so important. It's, it's not by doing good works. It's not by just somehow saying, well, I'm going to just try again. I'm going to try again. I'm going to keep trying. Just can't. It is the, the miracle of the Spirit that renews you. And I think a lot of believers settle for so much less than that by just trying harder. Your flesh can't get rid of flesh. It's only the Spirit that does a new work that's birthed in you. And the empowerment of God comes into your life and you have now the strength to be able to take those steps with God. Now that's, that's critical in our thinking if we want to live on the high road, this new nature. Then Paul says, put on this new nature, this, this spirit. And that begins to be a consuming thing in our lives. Live constantly with this awareness of God working in us. And that changes us. Sometimes even physically. Now, how are we going to do this? Let's look at some practical ways that Paul says... If you want to live on the high road, then you're going to have to be a doer of some of these things. And he's blunt. How many of you dislike when people tell it like it is? Okay, some of you will like this. Number three in your outline, speak the truth. Speak the truth. This is, this is what Paul is about to say. Now, in verse 25, <laughs> look at this. So, stop telling lies. How many think that's just a good good idea? Just stop telling lies. That there's no baby step in that. It's just a direct command. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are, are all parts of the same body. You start thinking about lying. Have you heard the term white lie? It's just a white lie, meaning it's just it has a little truth to it. Or here's the question: Is exaggeration a lie? <laughs> it's tricky because. Because if it isn't fully the truth, then it really isn't the truth. It might be partly true, but it's not all true. 
And Paul is trying to throw this idea out that you need to be truthful with your light. Why is telling the truth helpful? Could you write down some practical things? Like, I tried to do that. And I came up with two or three. Number one, I believe with all my heart that if you're truthful, truth always wins in the end. And, and it, it, it'll save you a, a long journey and a lot of wasted effort if you can learn to just be truthful from the beginning. Another thing I wrote down is it will keep respect intact. Like, you know, I would rather have, I would rather have someone come up to, just, just, just to own it and say, I did this. And I know it was wrong, and I shouldn't have, but I did. I'm sorry. I hope you can forgive me. I would rather have that than to have to chase it down and figure it out and turn over all the rocks and discover that they did it. You with me? I respect people, even in their mistakes, if they're honest and they're truthful. And so I think Paul knows that the church is going to be more healthy if we don't tell lies, if we don't exaggerate, if we're honest, if we tell the truth. I think another thing I wrote down is it will clarify misunderstandings. You know, if Bonnie and I ever, we've never had an argument in our lives, but if we had, no, I'm kidding. You know, if, yeah, that's a white lie. That's a real lie. <laughs> um, one of the things that happens when we discuss things with passion um, Right. Um, you have to understand that when I'm really honest with her and she's really honest with me and we get, we get through all the stuff, it will bring clarity to both of us. Even if it's confusing for a while, even if I don't fully understand or appreciate her position or she doesn't appreciate mine, at least there's going to be clarity when we're done talking. Because she's going to know where I stand, and I'm going to know where she stands, and I think that's always a helpful thing. Now, in the, in the theology of Ephesians 4, there's, some, there's another reason why Paul said this. Because there were people in the church who had drifted into four or five ways of being dishonest that they were justifying. So let me just tell you quickly what they are. You'll, be, you'll find this interesting. Um, many people in the church found it easy to present items that they were selling at the market um, as better than what they really were. So, in other words, it's like a diamond. How many of you know there's different levels of the quality of a diamond and you will pay for a higher quality? Well, what, some, what was happening is in the market, they were, some people were saying, you know, this, this product is, is this level when it really wasn't. And so Paul's trying to say, be careful about that. Um, I, I was on a mission trip one time, and I won't say the country, but it literally there was a sign, all these leather goods, and there was a sign right at the top that had three words. I took a picture of it. It said, Genuine Imitation Leather. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> a second thing that was happening in the church is many of them had employees that would be in their home. They were called servants in the Bible. And, and someone would knock on the door, and they would say to their servant, tell them I'm not here. Now, that's not the truth. They are there, and so they're putting someone else in jeopardy. Now, how many of you can be real honest? Sometimes the doorbell has rung in your house, and you have not answered it. Yeah, okay. Um, that's not a lie, because you're not saying you're there. But this is, a this is a lie when you say, tell them, or calling in sick at work when you're not sick. H how many of you... 
you can honestly, don't raise your hand to this, okay? You, you, can, you, can, you can imagine or you can actually experience that you really did feel sick for a couple hours in the morning and you really didn't want to go to work and then you just got better when you didn't have to go into work. That, that's what happens in the power of that persuasion. And so we have to be really careful about honesty and what's really going on. Another thing that they had a habit of was, was embellishing their stories. Another thing was adding to gossip or not finding the truth about the story and retelling it when it wasn't true. Another thing that was huge was making promises and then just to get out of a dilemma. You know, it's like, okay, I'll come back tomorrow and fix it. And then they wouldn't. So we have all these things in our culture too. And just little ways of learning to be honest. Number four in your outline is this. Deal with anger issues. Why does Paul go from this renewed, low road, high road into talking about anger? Because, you know, in our nation, we don't have any anger issues, right? How many of you know this is a big problem in our world today? Huge. It's huge. And, and look at what he says. Again, it's just verse 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. And then here's that famous passage that some people say and they don't even know it's really in the Bible. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. This is good theology about anger. And, and I'll tell you, anger will destroy your life. I had an interesting thing happen about this, this anger because you kind of grow up in church thinking anger is really wrong. You can be angry without sinning. Anger itself isn't a bad thing. We had a, a Bible school class when I was in Bible school um, that, that worked on teaching us how to speak in public. It's called preaching. And one of our assignments was to build a three-minute sermon. How many of you wish we would do that more? <laughs> yeah. And so a friend of mine, I'll never forget this. It so stunned me. He, they, they said who, he was coming to give his three-minute sermon. And he just jumped up from his desk and he marched over to the pulpit. It was wood. And he just started his whole talk. He slammed his hand so hard. It would break this probably if I hit it that hard. And he said, I am angry. And we're all like, okay. <laughs> Call security. And he said, I can't believe that people would throw their trash on the ground. It's ugly. It's horrible. It's a terrible habit. How could anybody litter? That's what he was angry about. Then he said, I'm so angry that I'm going to go pick up all the trash around my entire dorm at 2 o'clock today. And I want you to come with me. And we're all like, okay. <laughs> now, he wasn't committing a sin with his anger. But typically, anger doesn't lead to something good. Sometimes it can. If you're angry at the right things, you should be angry at injustice in the world. You should be angry at certain things, and it moves you to such a point that you have good fruit that comes out of your life in trying to make that better or go away. But our anger usually develops into revenge, hate, ulcers. <laughs> it can affect you physically. Tension, treating others badly. Don't go to sleep in your anger. What this is saying is deal with your relationships while you can. Don't put it off. If you're angry about something... And if you can't do it that particular night, then 
then make, make sure you plan it for the next day that you're going to fix this. You're going to get to the bottom of this and you're not going to let it eat away at you. Number five, Paul reminds us to live useful lives. Live useful. What does it mean to really make a decision to be proactive about how you live? Now, this is another blunt one, verse 28. I love this. If you are a thief, quit stealing. <laughs> Isn't that great? Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Hear this. Don't use foul or abusive language. They had cuss words back then, too. And abusive language would be, you know, uh, controlling somebody by overpowering them and abusing them uh, with how you speak to them. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Wow. This is wrapped up in just three things. Live useful lives by what you do. Live useful lives by what you say. And live useful lives by how you think. If we will do that, I think it could change the world. The last thing in your notes, number six, is live with purpose. Live with purpose. Now, it's almost, I think this is one of the most important parts of the passage because it wraps it all up. It's a summary. And Paul just goes right at it. He says, look, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. That's powerful because this isn't saying it's going to bring shame on you or it's going to bring bad stuff to your life. You're going to hurt yourself. It's saying, do you realize that this way of living breaks the heart of God? Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through through Christ, has forgiven you. What a picture of how it's supposed to be. What a picture. You see, the the thing probably that presses me the most with a message like this is that sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that we can just try harder and do more and that will change us. When in reality, what changes me is recognizing that I am so loved by God that I am created by Him, that's amazing to me, that He has amazing purpose for my life that I could never dream up, but He wants the best for me and He has chosen to light up my spirit, man, so that I can hear His voice, so that I can be touched and moved, so that I can have discernment not to make stupid decisions, so that I can be empowered by the Spirit to actually take those steps toward living and walking on the high road. I can't do that by myself, but I don't want to break the heart of God. And He believes in me so much. One of the things that would kill me is to break my wife's heart. One of the things that would kill me is to break my children's heart. But think about God. I don't want to break His heart. And He's invested a lot in you. And He loves you. And it's that love that can awaken that spirit that can empower you to be that person whose lifestyle is credible in being the light of God. 
Let's pray. We need that empowerment, oh God. Spare us from trying to even think that we can do this alone. This is more than behavioral change. This is faith that has to grow up in us. And it's a seed that's planted and suddenly my spirit man comes alive. And I'm able to start putting off those old flesh things and those temptations and those addictions and those lifestyle traps. Because you are with me. You are empowering me. And I can put on that new man. That new way of thinking. You guys keep your heads bowed for a moment. I want to pray over a couple things with you. And it's going to take some honesty, I know. But this, we call this our living room for a reason. It's where we really do talk about life. And so be vulnerable. Some of you... Even though you love God and you would say you love God, you have anger issues that sometimes win. And those anger issues, you need to invite the Holy Spirit into those places. You need to do it now, maybe while you're not angry. Because, you know, most people don't live angry all the time. It's just when those buttons get pushed and there's a lack of self-control because some people don't know what to do with that moment. It just comes on you like a flash like a lightning bolt but today here's what I want to do I want in a moment I'm going to ask you to just lift your hand and put it right back down as a statement that says I'm being honest this is the truth I need God to help me with this issue in my life and I can't fix it but I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to do this in me and to enlighten me and to let a new man a new woman be birthed in me in this area just put your hand up right now and put it right back down. This is between you and God, and it matters. Lord, you have seen the hands around this room, and you know every situation. I pray for my brother, my sister. I pray, God, and we as a church pray, because we know we can all fall into this trap. We pray for them that your spirit would absolutely fire up that spirit man in them. That there would be a connection today. That your Holy Spirit would bring empowerment to their life that they do not have in the flesh. We believe in that. And we ask you, God, to bring clarity to their mind and give them the ability in those moments of tension and passion to discern the spirit man. And to do the stuff that you will direct them to do. Bring your spirit in that moment and remind them in that moment that they are to be directed by the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of flesh. Let us win these battles, God, because of your empowerment. Secondly, I want to just generally, I think we could all raise our hand to this idea of getting onto the high road. There's probably no one that's on the low road in every aspect of your life, but, but many of us have a low road somewhere in our lives. And, and this, this passage really deals with a bunch of stuff. And it's an invitation to us to say, you know what? I live on the high road most of the time, but this gets me. And every now and then, I put my hand in that puddle that I shouldn't. I view the stuff I shouldn't. I say the things I shouldn't. I spew out, or I have thoughts, and I shouldn't. And it's not just about, it's not just about doing better. It's about surrendering more. 
tell God right now, Lord, I, I have some low roads in my life that I can't fix. Lord, I pray, I pray for all of us that these places, that we can surrender them to you. That the spirit man in us would become more alive. That these things that control us would be offered to you in submission to your authority. And that's what will change our patterns. So teach us how just to surrender these things to you. For the glory of God, we pray this, Lord. If you're here today separated from God, I want to give you an opportunity. The Bible says you can't really even come to faith in the Lord unless the Spirit draws you. That's interesting. But if you're being drawn by the Spirit today and you're separated from God, the best thing you can do is to say, Lord, your Spirit is drawing me. And I want to believe in you. And I take this moment, just say this with me, I take this moment to give you my life and my future. And I trust you. I believe in you. Awaken my spirit, man. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Man, the God of angel armies is on your side. That's pretty big, right? Our prayer team, come, would you? We want to pray with you about any need that you might bring today. And uh, give us that opportunity. You can come right now. Just come on up before we dismiss. You can get up here and let us just pray with you about a burden on your heart or a heaviness in your life. We would love to. Sign-ups back in the mall. Lots of stuff going on. Thank you for being Timberline, not just being at this place. Say it with me. The service starts now. Love you guys. God bless you. Have a great weekend.